Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello fellow Hot Mess Clubhouses. I hope you're very well today. My name is Lucy Vine and I am your oft awkward host. This is the Hot Mess Clubhouse, a podcast celebrating funny women, and this is series two, focusing on funny writers. Hooray! I'm a little delirious about today's guest, Terry White. She's been a hero of mine throughout my entire career as a journalist, um, and it was a joy to have a proper conversation with her. I mean a conversation where I didn't drunkenly stagger up to her at an event and go, oh my god, I think you're so amazing. Um, Although this chat definitely has that kind of vibe, apologies. She's the editor-in-chief of Empire and Pilot TV magazine, but is also genuinely one of the most searingly honest and beautiful writers out there. If you haven't read any of her pieces about poverty and violence, do seek them out, they're incredible. She also has a book coming out in 2020 called Undone, which we didn't talk about one bit, yay me, Uh, but you should 100% put it on your pre-order list because I know for a fact it will be incredible. What we did talk about is Terry's eye-wateringly impressive journalist career, uh, being a massive narcissist, chronic shyness and Samantha Mumba. Be warned, we also get quite shouty about feminism, which I enjoyed immensely and I hope you do too. So I read your Wikipedia page and you are a 71-year-old singer-cum-actress <laughs> from California. A jazz singer, yeah, terrywhite.com, which I once looked up um, because I'm a massive narcissist. I wanted to see who it belonged to and it belongs to a jazz artist. Amazing. But she's had an amazing life, so she was homeless for a while. Yeah. She slept on a park bench and she's now this huge jazz singer. So I think you should assume her identity. I think we're kindred spirits. You could uh, age yourself up, you know, mm-hmm. lean into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, oh, before we get started properly... Gonna get some snacks out, okay? Because okay. I want to judge your snack choices. Okay. We should okay. just tell everybody that I've just eaten a massive chocolate donut. Okay. Already. So if you don't want any of my snacks, I'm gonna be offended. Hobnobs. I've no, they're not. They've not got chocolate on them. No. Well. Okay. So there is a reason. I have got you a party bag of chocolate. Amazing. Is that like a pick and mix? So that's why I didn't get, um, no. It's oh my more God, just like actual chocolate bars. Actual chocolate bars. And I want to know, like, what your favourite is and okay. what is missing from so this choice. So we should say... That's the posh one. I've, I'm not pronouncing that. Gal, gal, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> Whisper Gold. Yep. Kit Kat Chunky. Yep. Smarties. <laughs> the Kitchens. Well, what, what else have we got here? A cream egg. Right, so okay. if I had to rate rank them for them, me. Yep, yep, please do. I would go cream egg, 
Kit Kat Chunky, Whisper Gold, Smarties. I don't know what that is, so I'm not going to mention it's it. It's really nice, but it's a bit fancy. You know, I like my chocolate to be basic. Yeah. <laughs> I like my cream eggs and my Whisper Golds. Where's the crunchy? I'm so sorry. Where's the twirl? Oh, fuck, I've completely balled this up. Where's the Twix? Oh, I'm a failure. Basics, basics. Right, snack time over. So, your Wikipedia page. Can we go through it? What, everything you've done? How many times have you been an editor of a magazine? Is it five, oh. six? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Did I say five? Because there was Buzz, Shortlist, Time Out, Life and Style? Life and Style, Empire, and, and now, Empire. of course, Pilot Mag as well. So, Pilot. so it yes. is, we are at least six, aren't we? Yes. Yes, kind of. <laughs> oh, and you've also launched a podcast for the Pilot TV yes. uh, magazine, which I listened to last night and it's fucking brilliant. And everybody should stop listening to this podcast and go listen to that podcast right now. It is, but it's very fun. Um, traditionally, you launch a magazine and the print mag is kind of the focus. Right. And I've worked on, I think I counted up recently, it's something like 16 magazine launches, both oh here God. and in America, or relaunches. And you're very impressive. <laughs> well, but it's funny because... Do you sit at home going, God, I'm impressive. God, I'm impressive. <laughs> That's how we're opening your Wikipedia page. Oh. God, she's impressive. So tell me about the early life section in your Wikipedia page. Um, because I always find that quite weird anyway. How do you summarise, like, 17 years of very formative times into a tiny paragraph? So did I... You have, did you have a beehive back then? I did not have beehive. Mm. Um, I had inferior hair, which is, I think, why I went on to develop the beehive. The best hair. <laughs> um, uh, so you grew up. Grew up. I grew up. <laughs> That's that done. I grew up. Um, I grew up on a council estate, um, uh, single mum, there were three of us, a fourth child came along later. Yeah. Um, and I've written quite a bit about this actually because yeah. I grew up in quite extreme poverty mm-hmm. in a single parent family mm-hmm. um, and there was quite a lot of violence mm-hmm. in our household growing up. My mum was um, married a few times and didn't always have the best taste in yeah. other human beings. We spent some time in a women's refuge, mm-hmm. um, which I've also written about. Uh, have, yeah. So, and actually, it, 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 I think it's what led me to magazines. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you because um, you've, you've, as you say, you've written about coming from this working class background and everything. How did you then end up in an industry full of rich wankers? <laughs> I asked myself that daily. <laughs> um, so, did, yeah, how did that come about? Tell me about it. Well, so I, you know, I was a weird child. I had a stutter for a long time. Oh. I was chronically shy. Oh. Um, I had no mates. I was. I was telling my boyfriend the other day that, did you see that thing on Twitter that was what was the most on-brand story for oh, yes. childhood, right? My, I didn't tweet this, but mine was that when I was seven, I went up to my teacher and said, um, excuse me, I'm not feeling um, challenged enough by the work at the moment. And I'm, I've been told that we're not allowed homework until we're 10, but I'd really like it now. And the teacher said, well, I can't just say it for you, I'd have to say it for the entire class. And I went, that's fine. So... <laughs> The whole class got I sent really homework. I'm surprised that you had no friends, Terry. <laughs> well, the whole class got sent, sent homework, and I didn't have that. Definitely didn't help me get any friends. No, not but even in the teacher. The teacher would have been fucking livid about having to go up with that thing. <laughs> but I'll tell you what it was. It was I was quite a lonely child growing up, and always felt like an outsider. Always felt like a weirdo. Because your siblings, though. No, kind of on and off. Me and my brother and my sister are very close now. Yeah. Going up because you know when life is hard, it, it you know a lot of it. Yeah. The tensions in the house were great. And you often take it out on the people you yeah. do love and care about. Yeah. Yeah. But my you know I was always close to my brother. 
Um, but I loved magazines because I remember always wanting to buy just 17. I, used, I babysat from the age of nine, which I think must be illegal. Yes, definitely. And I would You're take... siblings rather than No, no, people. no, other people. Oh, really? Kids. Yeah, babies. <laughs> <laughs> like nine years old. Definitely not right. And I would take my babysitting money and I would buy just 17. I'd wait outside the shop before it opened. And for me, it was a community that I could be part of, a friendship gang that I couldn't have in real life, but actually I could have through the pages of a magazine. And that's where my love of magazines came from. So I've always been driven by being part of that gang and being part of that club and being part of that community and and wanting to create that for other people. But how did you get into that gang and did you go to uni? Yes, so I was the first person in my family to go to university, which was interesting, actually. Where did you I, go? I went to Leicester and Amazing. I did English literature. So did you do like two hours a week, like I did? I did <laughs> eight hours a week. And let me say, and this is the other on-brand thing about me. I spent, I used to get up at seven a.m., go and sit in the library until ten p.m. at night, just studying like a psychopath, because that's what oh, I'm like. That's so impressive. Well, I saw it as my way out of. I didn't yeah. want to have to go home. But you're so driven. I don't know how you've got this motivation. You're able to push yourself in this way. It's so impressive. Well, there's... There's a story, I've, I've told it once before, and it was that when um, I'd done my last exam at university, and it was before I graduated, and I went home, and I wasn't going home very much at this point, I wasn't very close to my family, and my mum said to me, I'd applied for these magazine jobs, and my mum said, oh, you know, you're not going to get one of those magazine jobs, like, and she brought Who home a, McDon- a drive through McDonald's application form and said feel that in, don't think you're sitting on your arse waiting for one of these jobs to come up. And I'd actually gone for an interview on Later magazine, which was being edited by Phil Hilton, who's now editorial director of Shortlist and Stylisting, is my mentor. And I called him desperately over and over and over again, (laughs) left him loads of messages. And it was for a secretary, his PA and an editorial assistant, which I was wildly overqualified for, but I didn't care. I just wanted to get in there. way in, isn't it? That's what I started Mm -hmm. in. Yeah, yeah. And so even though you... So you harassed him into giving you yeah, a job, yeah. actually, didn't you? He did say years later, so I edited, I went on to edit shortlist, um, and he said in my leaving speech, he remembered the voicemails and he'd never heard the desperation in somebody's voice, wow. <laughs> which was both touching and like, I was going to say, he's not sure if it's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember that moment when you got that first job then? Yes, and I remember Samantha Mumba was playing in oh the background. Oh my God, I'm Samantha uh, <laughs> And whenever I hear Samantha Mumba, which, you tell you? <laughs> which isn't often these days, I remember it, and I remember being in the front room and just thinking this is it this is when everything's going to start for me and it did but you have off you have sort of almost um entirely worked with men yes has that have you found that you have to work you know 10 times harder or whatever to be taken seriously in that world yeah and i think that's part of my psychological makeup actually mm-hmm. is that i enjoy the challenge being the underdog. of being the underdog <laughs> and people presuming i'm not up to it part of me i've never understood that until recently no. And I think it's definitely part of what drives me and then frustrates me, but then keeps driving me. And I have to say, I've worked with a lot of men, some incredibly talented men. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And I've worked with women as well, and there are definite differences. And I kind of hate the stereotype that about about women being kind of bitchy and difficult. Exactly, yeah. And competitive. I mean, obviously, I want all my female friends to fail miserably, but no. Yes, that's natural. But I think it's. I think I actually found men were less competitive. I think we are as women. We are trained to see each other as competition from the moment we're born. Well, it's that awful like um, pulling the ladder up behind you, yes. thing, isn't it? Yeah. And but I, I never found that with you because um, when I mean I was a young 
young journalist, you were still a young journalist too, but you were more senior than I was. And a couple of times I met you as a journalist, you were so generous with your advice and just generally I just got that feeling that you are happy to help other women and that's just such an important and lovely thing. I think it's really important. I've had some uh, amazing female mentors and male mentors and without them I wouldn't have had the career mm. I've had. So was there a point at which you felt like, okay, I'm here and I'm this is now my career, I am a writer and I'm good at what I do? Yeah, it took years though. It, like, yeah. The fear was there for years and years and years. Every job I had, I was convinced I was going to get fired. Like, convinced, not just like a fleeting thought. Caught out. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and I think people talk a lot about imposter syndrome, and I think it's, I think it is that, but I think it's also fundamentally we are taught as women to question ourselves and be self-critical a lot more than men are generally speaking. And I think we're harder on ourselves anyway. Um, and I also think business is not set up to validate women. I think the metric metrics used for success, the metrics used for reward and not necessarily the metrics that reflect the work that women often do um, and I think it took me years and now I know my ability, yeah. I know that I'm good, I know that I'm, you know, I've worked my arse off and those things are kind of facts to me now but yeah. I've been doing this 19 years and it's taken me 19 years to get to a position of going, I'm really fucking good, I'm, I'm a really fucking good editor. I'm yeah. a really good editor and you can always get better and you can always improve. I wish I could go back in time and, and speak to 25 year old <laughs> and go, just relax, Chill. enjoy it. You're really good, you'll be fine, they'll be throwing the promotions at you. I wanted to ask you about moving to New York to mm. do time out because that must have felt, felt like a massive thing. Never mind taking on the editorship of a magazine but to actually completely change your life and move away yeah did you think twice or was it like oh my god no. I wish I could <laughs> say I did I'm quite impulsive um I'm quite impulsive in that if something really excites me I don't really care about the practicalities so I got offered a job initially on a magazine called Life and Style out there and I it meant at 32 completely uprooting my life I knew one person in New York and I loved the city but that was it and I ended up then moving to time out New York and I was there three and a half years in total it was I mean I probably should have thought a little bit more about it because I had an amazing circle of friends here I was close to my family I had a, a really comfortable life and there's another part of me psychologically that always kind of wants to append it when I get too comfortable because I'm too safe and too secure. <laughs> um, and New York was both amazing and awful and challenging. And, uh, you know, as an experience, it's kind of, I don't regret it necessarily, but um, I went into it very lightly. So, but you prefer being here and you're happy to be back? I do. And I, th I think, you know, I'm, I love adventure, so I would never rule out living in another country. Um, I spent quite a bit of time in LA, which I really love. Yeah. Um, I've often thought about just like going to Europe for a bit, probably not these days, you know, what we've probably uh, not allowed. What we've the last of being <laughs> by the time this comes out. You won't be able to. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm all for adventure and I'm all for being challenged. I hate feeling bored, I hate feeling stuck, I hate feeling like um, everything's too safe and too happy and too. That sounds really dark. But, um, 
Uh, I think if you're self-aware enough to understand that you yes. are a bit of a self-sabotage or, yes. or what you need to kind of keep you stimulated, I think that's fine. That's fine, right? It's fine to indulge your darker impulses as long as you know you're doing exactly. it. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> this is where we're going to take a little break from the actual interview to do, <laughs> I keep doing this stupid joke, my casual fire round, okay. which is like a quick fire round, but it's a bit more <laughs> laid back. <laughs> I'm all, I'm all up for it. Oh, I can't, I've, I've got to probably cut that joke out because I can't keep explaining it because it's not even funny. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So basically, quick fire quiz, but you feel free to take your time. Okay. Ready? Yes. Okay, so how many marks out of ten would you give your first snog? Oh, God, it was up a tree. Four. Up a tree? It's up a tree. How could it be up a tree? <laughs> we did it up a tree in the in the parking town. Oh, God, it was awful. Four. Four. Okay, yeah. great. I'm pretty sure he I... drove me once in a taxi when I went home as well, like, oh my God, 25 years and later. And you didn't say, I didn't say tree. remember the tree. <laughs> what kind of tree was it? A big one. Good or bad? Good. Okay. Love is the answer. Fuck you, you optimist. Yeah, love is the answer. How would you describe your sense of humour? Weird. Weird in what way? Just, like, I say things I shouldn't say and make jokes I shouldn't make. And I think I... you're quite dark, aren't you? Yeah, and I say things that I find funny and nobody else in the room does. <laughs> or I say... As long as you're making yourself laugh. That's what I say. And Or I say things grounded in proper dark reality and then just make put a punchline on the end and think that makes them a joke, but I don't think it does. <laughs> Um, what are your top three supermarkets? Oh, so... Oh, my God. Booths. Have you been to what? Booths? It's northern. Oh, okay. Right. Booths. I don't go north. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, my God. It's worth going north for. It's a okay. local supermarket. All local produce. Oh. So fancy. I love it. I've only discovered it. Is it, it like Whole Foods? Because I hadn't realised Whole Foods was a thing. And when I went yes. to America, I went in this Whole Foods. And I was like, oh, my God. It's like local Whole Foods. It's like village Whole Foods. That sounds amazing. So that's number one. That's number one. Morrison's is number two, but with a marketplace. So there are some rough Morrison's yeah. and there are some nice Morrison's. Okay. I like the nice Morrison's. Okay, good. How and do you know if it's a nice Morrison's from the outside? it's got a marketplace. Okay, oh, it actually says... Yeah. Oh, I see, okay. And they've got a chicken counter that's working, not just... The chicken to the Okay, all right, right, fair enough, fair enough. And number three? Um, Little. Interesting. Any particular reason? Cheap, good point. Great. When was the last time you stared out of a window at the rain and pretended to be in a movie? Not for years, actually. I went through a phase in my late 20s when I was in a terrible relationship and um, I used to... It's nothing like a horrible relationship to make you stare out of a window. A window, right? And right. I used to drink Bell's whiskey, like tag This is like a movie. <laughs> Your whole life is like the opening of a movie. You're so on message, aren't you, Terry? Well, <laughs> and I would stare out my window. I lived in Angel in a top floor flat and I would stare out my window in the rain drinking my Bell's whiskey, crying over this terrible man oh that's so evocative yeah <laughs> I'm so sorry about the bad really. I'm, yeah. so, I'm laughing and making yeah, it into a joke that's fine sorry the whole thing was a joke really <laughs> <laughs> so it's depressing when you look back at these things hi man I'm Martin what's his home address <laughs> did you have a moment in your life when you were like oh feminism I get it I'm a feminist uh, well I think I've always been a feminist. I did actually, my dissertation was in black feminist theory because um, I loved Toni Morrison and Audre Lorde. I think I've grown to understand intersectional feminism better. So I think right. white women 
including myself, bandy it around a lot, and we say intersectional feminism without understanding what it means, which is obviously, um, you know, it's not just enough for white women to succeed without us all succeeding, and without us as white women recognising our privilege, realising that there's a massive intersection with race and with religion and with class, and that all these things exist in addition to being a woman, and just being a woman kind of doesn't give you any particular kind of, you know, ownership over feminism. And I think I've been educated a lot over the last few years on that. Um, but, you know, as the child of a single mother who grew up, you know, if you didn't do it for yourself, then it didn't get done. And it's never been an option for me. So you did come to it quite early then. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of um, women my age, or our age, um, didn't get to it until, or, or certainly sort of rejected it. There was definitely a sort of 90s phase where everybody kind of went like, oh, we don't need feminism yeah. anymore. Like, And it's definitely become okay and cool even to be a feminist again in the last sort of five, ten years. But I do remember... You yeah, were I, already there, you were ahead of the curve. Well, I remember <laughs> thinking, wait, since when has feminism been this dirty thing? If one, there were women I respected who would say to me, oh, God, I'm not a feminist. Yeah, but it was a really depressing time yeah. when people didn't... Well, still, you... I, I, move back to the countryside I've fucking meeting yeah. a lot of these people who are like oh, say, oh feminism oh you just want to kill all men and I do want to kill all men but it's a completely <laughs> separate issue okay it's nothing to do with my feminism <laughs> you know when people say to me it really angers me because when people say we don't need feminism anymore that is the exact epitome oh, and verbalisation of privilege because the reality is if you think two women a week being murdered by their partner or their ex-partner, which is an epidemic of women being killed, has nothing it's to disgusting. do with feminism, then you are out of your mind. Yeah. That's that actually systemic and structural misogyny is absolutely the heart of the domestic violence stats. So everything, every single way in which a woman struggles, whether it's career, mm -hmm. whether it's pay, whether it's violence, whether it's sexual violence, all of these things are about the kind of system of patriarchy and how feminism intersects with that. And so the thought that we don't need it, just because you personally don't feel you need it, and by the way, you're going to be wrong anyway, does not make it redundant. It makes you incredibly lucky and incredibly privileged. Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> but yeah, just to add that, I mean, obviously there's just so many examples of why we studied feminism. But also, like, when I've had... Um, when I've had arguments on Twitter with Piers Morgan, for example, um, and he's saying we don't need feminism, we've got a female prime minister, we've got a female head of police, all of the, his terrible, shitty arguments yeah. that he comes up with, um, he obviously reads every tweet that gets yeah. sent to him because, like, when I've had arguments with him, it's been from 12 hours before yeah. and there's hundreds and hundreds of tweets between uh, that. So he scrolled down and he's yeah. sort of seen my tweet then responded to it and then started an argument, etc. And then I have spent the next sort of two or three days getting sent really, really shitty things yeah. from men being like, oh, get back to the kitchen, yeah. you need a husband, clearly you need to be like... Shagged, to be it's shagged. normally the one, exactly. right? <laughs> I was about to say, fuck, and then there's a man walked in. <laughs> Very We're at Waterstones Gower Street. People are going to wander in. <laughs> there's going to be a lift. Anyway, um, but yeah, so, and, and the fact that he pretends that we don't need that anymore and yet obviously sees those kind he of does. responses constantly. Well, here's the thing, bullshit. right? Here's the thing. I think he fundamentally, um, and I refuse to mention him on Twitter because it's exactly the fuel he wants, but he 
I fundamentally I, don't I believe... I haven't even mentioned at it him. No, he'll search his own name, name up. Yeah. I think he fundamentally doesn't believe a lot of what he says. I think a lot yeah. of it is about um, clickbait, it's about tension, it's about making himself relevant. He saw a Katie Hopkins male hole, uh-huh. didn't he? Yeah, And I him. think I get a lot sometimes. Sometimes I get tweets about, especially when I'm talking about domestic violence, I get messages about um, men's rights and what about men and all of this. <laughs> And, you know, we have such a long way to go. The thought that we don't need it anymore, we are, we're talking about equality. That's what we're talking about. And we are so far away from it on every single level. It's astonishing to me. In many respects, we've gone backwards on stuff. Yeah. And this is not going to be a fight that we win within our generation, within the next generation. It fundamentally goes back to the very fundamental structure of society, how, how society's been made. And some women having power doesn't have anything to do with feminism. Theresa May is a terrible feminist. She yep. has a terrible <laughs> record against women. Oh, and God. the fact that People she general, has... She's... The fact that she is a woman is neither near here nor there. Absolutely. And yeah. one woman becoming successful in one particular way does not in any way eradicate a need I mean, for she, all women. She also wasn't even voted in. She, she was brought to power in a very weird roundabout way. It's not like we even voted for a female prime minister. No. It's, no, it's you so know, people say about Thatcher, and Thatcher famously had voice lessons to sound more like a man because she felt like she wouldn't be given respect if she sounded like a woman. It's so dark. You know, it? there are so many conditions under which women are allowed to be successful within mm. a male framework. That is not feminism. Absolutely. Oh, you voice it so well. I was going to ask if editing a film magazine, is that anything like the sort of... Because you hear a lot about the gamers world which is so vitriolic um, and about you know any females in their industry sort of thing do you have you been attacked much by the manosphere or anything no but i tell you what there is there is a there's been a couple of instances one somebody um we had some some sharks sent into the Empire Office. They're sharks? Stuffed sharks. Okay, not to, living sharks. To promote the Put film in. The Meg. And oh, amazing! We climbed inside them and we were taking pictures of us all being eaten and, and the social media guy at Empire tweeted a picture of me dead being like, oh, she's been attacked by a thing. And I say feminist in my Twitter bio and, and somebody replied and said, oh, one less feminist in the world. Blah, blah, that's all we need. Um, but, but it does, there are, in, there are moments and there are fandoms where it does become an issue. So Helen O'Hara, who is the contributing editor of Empire, she's a journalist, and she tweeted something about uh, Batman vs Superman, um, uh, one of the DC films, and she spent the next week essentially fielding toxic, toxic tweets, some of which were just toxic about the film, some of which were really sexist. And I think there is a layer where people will engage with you just as another human, and then when that doesn't work, they reach for the next thing, which is your gender. Um, I do think that, I think a film's interesting. I think gender's still an issue across the board, really, when you look at the stats for female filmmakers, for studio execs, for who's making films, female narrative-led films. We still have a massive issue, really. Way to go, yeah. And I am conscious that, you know, both myself and the editor of Total Film are both women, right. which has never which happened before. wonderful, by the way. But we're still the exceptions, not the rules. Yeah, of course. Um, and I've worked really hard at Empire to bring more women in. Um, and we're now working quite hard on making sure our writing pool is much more diverse because it traditionally hasn't been what I feel is diverse enough. But film has, again, it's a microcosm of society. So all of the problems we see in society are reflected in film. And I think every industry 
um, has its own set of problems. And I think gender is one in film, but actually I think, again, class is an issue in terms of accessibility and diversity in terms of the default story not being the story of the white man. Yeah, yeah. You just put it all so fucking well. I, I mean, I read your incredible um, piece for Medium last week, His Boots and Other Stories, and I was honestly crying within about three lines. So you've been at Empire a few years now. Right. Is mm-hmm. Empire your favourite magazine? <laughs> it's a bit bad now if I said no, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always loved Empire. I always wanted to edit Empire. Yeah. Um and you know, I really was it on a hit list. It was on a very <laughs> short hit list, which is now empty. Oh my god, you're so cool! Well, but you know, the thing is, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of print media. Full mm. stop. I think magazines are wonderful, beautiful, fascinating objects that we should all absolutely invest in and value. I think every every kind of media brand now is an ecosystem which contains lots of amazing things like podcasts and events and social and digital. But for me, the, the pull of the Empire job was always the magazine. And it felt very exciting that you launched Pilot as well. Yeah. Like to actually be launching a print magazine is so exciting. Yes. It was like, wow, it feels like the noughties again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the old Satans were around and we had like big magazine budgets to launch magazines. Did you have Friday food? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not quite there. Not quite. Let's get carried away. Yeah, because I, I really love film, but I am actually more of a TV person. Um, so how have you found... Um, moving from film to TV in that way? like, Well, it was really a solution to um, the kind of change we'd seen in the world. So when I came into Empire, the explosion of cinematic TV was really picking up pace. So we had, you know, Ridley Scott making The Man in the High Castle for Amazon the same year he made The Martian. Right. And you'd got people moving between the mediums. TV was no longer this second-rate cousin, five so channels. Really I think that Prosecco is going down <laughs> in a weird way. Five channels and, you know. Um, so we really wanted to be able to look at that and we looked at, should we pull it into Empire? Should we broaden out Empire? And it became really clear to me that the kind of core audience of Empire wanted to be a film magazine first and foremost. So the opportunity to launch something standalone, which, because there is so much amazing TV out there... It really, it feels like an yeah. absolute moment, doesn't it? And especially it really for female-driven shows and yeah. amazing, amazing uh, writing. It's, yeah. It just feels like TV is really exciting. It is, and just being able to celebrate that properly, not in a cursory way, not in a tag a few pages on in a... We are going to launch a brand that is just all about incredible cinematic telly, what you should watch, what you should skip, what you should revisit, and just kind of go and do the kind of empire treatment of going fully immersed in that, immersed into the detail, the craft. We're interested in the people who made it as much as the people who were in it. Um, And for us, there was a massive gap between you've got the likes of the listings mags, which are amazing and sell loads and do a really functional job for a slightly older demographic, Radio Times... Um, but nobody that was really kind of going all in on this, and we call it cinematic TV, which is just TV with the production values, writing, casting crew of, of traditionally a film, really. Yeah. Well, it is brilliant, and everybody should buy both Pilot and Empire. Yes. Yeah. So with being such a TV and film expert, have you ever um, considered writing a screenplay? I have. I kind of have one underway <gasps> at the moment. Yes. What kind of genre? Can you tell me anything I about ca- it? I can't. Oh, come it's linked on. to something else. But, um, oh, really? But, um, you but can't even tell me an area. Wings. I can't imagine you doing a rom-com. No. <laughs> it's, it's dark. I'll just say it's quite dark <laughs> for a change. 
Um, yeah, I'm so into the dark telly and, and horror films and all that kind of stuff. Well, and look what what's happening from in terms of, as you say, female writers, female creators. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, oh who my is God, right? a one-woman wonder. Yeah. Um, you've got K- Killing Eve, you've got Fleabag, Pure, you know, all of these things which are just either female-focused narratives, female writers and showrunners telling female interesting female stories Derry Girls is back in a couple of weeks oh it just feels really exciting doesn't it yeah. it does proper you know and somebody said to me they were like I can't understand like how they managed to nail like the complexities of like Villanelle uh, <laughs> and Eve in Killing Eve I'm like that's what happens when you like women write women because oh. we know each we know ourselves and we know each other <laughs> well yeah and on that note <laughs> I'm going to stop rambling at you. Thank you so much. Oh, in the words of uh, my queen, RuPaul, would you like to plug anything? <laughs> Is there anything uh, that you would like? Well, how do people follow you on social media, Terry? Uh, I'm on send Terry underscore white. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Violet in shops now. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Terry. And thank you, everyone out there. Please rate and subscribe. Bye.